Is it better to be hot or cold? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hero of the Story presented by the Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of Scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me is Josh Hayes. Josh, how are you, man? I'm doing well. I don't know if I'm hot or cold. We'll we'll see how well, how that how I measure as we uh, get into the episode. Well, depending on the depending on the weather, I mean, it's a little bit of both. I mean, right now we're in a lovely air conditioned room together. True. Um, with, you know, several feet between us, thanks mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. way this whole room has been set up. But, um, you know, but if we went outside, we'd get hot real fast because it's gross in August yes. in Tennessee. Yes. So Agreed. But that's not the kind of hot or cold we're talking about because we are continuing our little four-part miniseries in Revelation. And so today we get to talk about... Revelation chapter 3, specifically verses 14 to 22, which is the letter to the Laodicean church. So, Josh, how about you set up a little bit of context for this? Um, This should go actually a lot faster than last week, where we had a whole lot of ground to cover. Right, uh, right. Yeah, last week we had to address a lot of the uh, genre issues that go into interpretation, how to interpret imagery and symbols uh, throughout the book of Revelation, just as we were getting started and getting oriented to the to the nature and scope of, of that book and how it's a, it's a different form of literature that modern people are used to interacting with. But this is more straightforward, these letters, these seven letters to the, the, the seven different churches that uh, fall at the beginning of the book of Revelation. They, they actually are some of the easier parts of the book to to interpret. So that's why today's episode should feel more straightforward. And if you want more commentary on a lot of the more difficult uh, areas and um, issues when it comes to interpreting Revelation. That, that's last week's episode, so please go check that out. But as we continue this week, we're looking at the, the letter, as you mentioned, Aaron, to the letter, uh, to, not to the letter, but the letter to the Laodiceans. And this is the last of the, the seven letters to the, to the seven churches. And there's a pattern that you see uh, emerge in these in these letters. Uh, typically, there's a area where Jesus speaking through uh, John, sending the letter through a messenger or angel, uh, gives them commendation for something that they're doing that for their faithfulness in a in a certain area. And then there's a rebuke, a place where they can improve and they need to repent, uh, and offers a path of repentance and the, the consequences of disobedience. But then a promised. Uh, of a reward for uh, faithfulness and repenting and, and improving in these areas for each church. So, for instance, the church at Ephesus was commended for their doctrinal vigilance and, and endurance, but their rebuke for leaving their, their first love. They, they became what we might refer to as cold-hearted Christians who don't practice what they, what they preached. And then the church in Smyrna, they were spiritually rich, and they endured uh, persecution in a faithful way, but... Uh, this, this, this. What uh, really stands out about this church is that there is no rebuke, so it breaks that that pattern from among the uh, other uh, six churches. That there's no rebuke, so this, the the church of Smyrna is on the as on the really good list. I guess it's the exceptional church of the of the bunch. Yeah, it's uh, one of the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe in the entire world, and 
in the whole history of churches. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. <laughs> or, the, or, that, or they get that kind of glowing uh, review. Uh, Jesus has high, high standards, right? Yep. Um, uh, Pergamum, uh, this church, it's committed for refusing uh, to deny Jesus in the face of persecution. So again, persecution being a constant theme. It's why one of the reasons Revelation was written in the first place to to address uh, persecution. So that's why you're going to keep seeing this this idea of persecution uh, repeated throughout the throughout the book. But uh, they're rebuked, uh, the church at Pergamum, that is, for allowing false teaching to go unchallenged. The church at Thyatira, they're, they're commanded for their love and good works, but they're rebuked for tolerating heresy in, in their midst. So they were about deeds more than creeds, and so they needed to focus more on, on the creed part, right, of, of, of mm-hmm. maintaining a true Christian doctrine. Uh, the church at Sardis, they're committed for... Uh, for some um, who remain faithful uh, in their in their midst, uh, but the the majority of of of, of the of the people there, their their works were dead in the eyes of Christ. There was no spiritual life uh, to what they were that they were doing there. Then the the church at Philadelphia, the last one before we get to Laodicea, that's the uh, that's the only other church to receive no rebuke. So it's also on that really good list uh, a, a, along with Smyrna. Um, and so no rebuke from Jesus to Philadelphia, uh, and they're encouraged to endure as they remain faithful. And then we get to Laodicea, which I think you're about to to, to read read the, the passage about. Yeah, yeah I am. And uh, yeah, it's, it's not a good sign when a church either has absolutely nothing commendable about it mm. in the eyes of Jesus, um, or like in the case of, of Sardis, it's... The rebuke comes first, mm-hmm. where he's like, y- your works are dead. But some of you are still faithful. Mm-hmm. So there's a chance here. That's that's not a good sign. But, uh, but yeah, then we get to Laodicea, and um, we get it gets pretty dark. So you're saying there's a chance. Sorry, I can't there help but think of Dumb and Dumber when, when, when right. anybody brings up there being a chance for something, a small chance exactly. for something. Exactly, exactly. Even if it's a 0.5% chance, <laughs> right. it's a chance. All right, so uh, Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22 read, Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea, thus says the aim, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were hot or cold. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich. I have become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me Gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich. White clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed. An ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. So, 
This is this is short passage. Like we said, it actually is pretty straightforward. Um, but what are some questions that we should be asking when we read and, when we read and explore it with anyone? <laughs> One thing that we've already addressed in setting the context and comparing and contrasting this letter with the letters to the other six churches is what is unique about the letter to the Laodicean church? So what makes their letter particular to them and stand out among the uh, the other letters? And as, as we've, we've noted, this is only one of the seven letters without any sort of con- commendation. So others uh, might have commendation and no rebuke like we saw uh, with the with Smyrna and Philadelphia, then the others have both have both commendation, but then also rebuke. Uh, it's not a good sign when you have only rebuke. So, and that buke, rebuke was uh, specifically against their spiritual bankruptcy. They they thought they were rich and they they were probably well to do uh, based on where they live and the social class of some in the church there at Laodicea. And so they they empirically felt they were blessed, favored, living the good life, so to speak. But they're they're lacking. And understanding their own spiritual state, their spiritual condition, their lack of lack of vitality and, and life for for Jesus, so they they're lacking in self awareness, and it's to the extent that Jesus calls them blind, naked, and utterly useless. Yeah, and that those are not things you want to hear from Jesus. No, at all. Those that is a him using such strong language has got to like I can only imagine what it would have been like to hear those words because these were like all of these letters did go to these churches mm-hmm. he they heard them all right. and i can only imagine the thought that would have gone through through the minds of of at least some of those hearing hearing mm-hmm. this message that surely it had to have been a, a powerful wake-up call for them to say what do i do how do i how do i um, how do I wake up from this this bankruptcy? How do I wake up from this blindness? How do I be? How am I able to see? Mm-hmm. And how do I become useful the way that God wants me to to be? Um, and that kind of leads into this next question, which is 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 how should we understand this language that Jesus uses of lukewarmness and this very um, gross. Uh, visceral mm-hmm. illustration that he uses of of vomiting or spitting out right. these these lukewarm people from his mouth. Um, well, w- first a little bit of context. So Laodicea, um, as a community, it was one in which there actually wasn't a source of clean drinking water. the The river that was nearby was basically sludge um, the whole time, and so it was so it wasn't useful. Um, itself, interestingly, much like the people of, of this church that he was saying. Um, mm. So they had to actually um, use a, a very intricate system of aqueducts to bring both hot and cold water into the city. Now, part of the problem, of course, was that um, as it would travel, the cold water would get warm and the hot water would cool. And so you were left with this, you were often left with this lukewarm mess that just wasn't, it wasn't really refreshing, it wasn't enjoyable, it wasn't good for cleaning things or anything like that. So um, now here's now here's where this hot and cold piece 
can get misinterpreted really quickly. And almost all of us have been in a sermon at one point or have used this as yeah. an example in this way. Um, we misinterpret this this language when we use it as as a call as calling out a degree their degree of faithfulness. Um, so either be in or out, be hot for Jesus, as in be passionately about his purposes and mission. Um, don't be weird when you say be hot for Jesus. Um, <laughs> don't be that. Um, you know, or be cold, um, as in to deny and, and reject him altogether. Don't don't be wishy washy. Right. Um, that's how we interpret this. Um, and when we say lukewarm, we we treat it that 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 way. That it's like you're fine with Jesus, right? But you don't really care. And that's not actually what this is saying right. at all. Um, it's that language. The language um, again, because. Um, because he's referring to water here, we have to think about, is hot water useful? Yes. Is cold water useful? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is lukewarm water useful? Not really. Right. Not for its intended purpose. Right. At least it might be fine for watering your plants, mm-hmm. but that's mm-hmm. about it. Um, this language suggests that both hot and cold are positives. And so when he said, when Jesus says, I would rather you be hot or cold, he's saying, I want you to be useful for mm-hmm. my purposes. I have given you a mission as, as my people to go and further the gospel. But the way that you live, you are not doing that. So pick one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So neither... <laughs> cold drinks or hot drinks from Starbucks are more spiritual than the other. Right? Correct. Right. Correct. Right. That's, they I both mean, have their use and purpose. Absolutely. A cold, always bring a cold on, brew is useful? Uh, yes. Uh, I enjoy some cold brews from time to time. So, uh, yeah, so we don't want to over-spiritualize what it means to be uh, hot or cold, but to understand the, the passage on its own terms, that's a, that's a good illustration. If we can always... Circle around to Starbucks with any illustration, it immediately makes it relevant to ninety-five percent of the audience. I think. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, so that is, uh, so that's what what we need to take away from that, and that leads us into our final question about understanding the passage. And so, how about you? How about you help us with that, Josh? Yeah. So, with this strong rebuke, colorful imagery that Jesus uses, or not even necessarily colorful, but just vivid imagery uh, to to rebuke uh, the church here at Laodicea uh, what's the way out what's the way to improvement what's what's the hope that Jesus offers and so even to this church where he offers such a stunning flabbergasting rebuke he he offers hope and 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 a, and a path uh, for repentance and so fellowship with Jesus is an invitation to them it's available to all who repent and believe even spiritually dead uh, religious people. It's where he, the invitation to dine with Jesus that he knocks on the door and will come into the one um, who invite who invites him in, who receives him. And that is a passage also, uh, a verse that's taken out of context and often mis- misapplied uh, while we're noting uh, mistakes people make in, uh, with <laughs> Revelation. Uh, so yep. so uh, just keep that in view that he's speaking to a church that's caught in unbelief and participating in 
dead works that has uh, not a good uh, realistic picture of where it is spiritually that's where that invitation is giving given uh, doesn't mean it doesn't apply we can't apply it to unbelief in other ways and that Jesus doesn't desire to come in and fellowship with people who have unbelief in general but this is given to a specific church it's struggling with with unbelief and the invitations to the to the church to come yeah. and receive Jesus invitation and knocking at the door yep yep all right so um, so let's think about this passage um, in terms of application as we're discipling others so what kind of guidance can we offer our listeners as they work through it yeah this is where John, and being an apostle does have a special kind of authority when he delivers a uh, a message like this to the church. But nonetheless, there's still an imperative and an, an example here that we need each other. We need fellow Christians to point out where our sins are, both individually as Christians, but also collectively uh, as the church or as a certain uh, group of Christians, so we need we need to help one another recognize our individual and our collective sins, and these letters demonstrate that. Just like the other New Testament letters uh, deal with that and, and model for us that we we need uh, others speaking into our lives in order to examine ourselves to see whether our we are living according to our profession of Christ as Lord. So sometimes this means that we actually have to confront one another when we see. Uh, ongoing habitual patterns of, of sin and, and, and unwise and unrighteous choices. Uh, but this is also what it means to love one another. When we call someone to repentance, it's not because we like to speak ill of them, that we like to make them feel bad, but we want them to, uh, we want to them to live in a way that's better for them and, and more importantly, more faithful to God and, Loving God and loving neighbors, what God designed us to do. So if we do those things, we will be better off. Both ourselves will be better off and others will be better off. So particularly with people we know and love, we want to call them to repentance. That's the most loving thing you can do for someone caught in sin is to is to help them and aid them in getting themselves untangled from this 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 habitual sin. That's the way you show love to them. And this is why Jesus started uh, saying uh, that he's the one who knows all and sees all truly uh, when when he's um, when he's um, giving his message to these churches when he's speaking to these churches in these in these letters he's the only one who can see perfectly clearly and he's he knows exactly what the Laodiceans need to hear yeah yeah and he knows what we need to hear too and mm-hmm. he often uses us um, as in, this is this is why we we can't fall into the trap of thinking that there is there is such a thing as purely personal sin. So everything that we do, every decision we make, affects other people. It right. affects it affects our um, if we're married, it affects our spouses. If we have children, it affects our children. If we are part of a part of a church, it affects our church too. Everything we do affect has a ripple effect out into every sphere um, that that we exist in, um, and so God will use the people in our communities, the people who know us, who can see our um, who can see our blind spots better than we can. Obviously, if they weren't, which makes sense because if they were 
if they were if we could see them, they wouldn't be blind spots. Right, right, right. But um, but those areas where we lack self awareness, and um, and so we need to be sensitive to that. That that that's part of the reason why we exist in community and why we exist to grow in community as well. And that leads us to the second thing that we would encourage, um, encourage, which is um, that just as we need to help one another recognize our individual and collective sins, we also need to challenge one another individually and collectively to greater faithfulness. So we repent and believe, so we, we call one another to repentance, yes, um, but that repentance isn't simply a call to stop sinning. It's, it's a challenge to live faithfully because to stop sinning is not enough. Right. And what that does is when you say, um, I mean, we talked about this before, the, mm-hmm. the whole Bob Newhart stop it thing. Right, right. Um, which is always so much fun. Uh, every time that we get an opportunity to bring up that little, <laughs> that little thing. But, um, but when you just tell someone to stop doing something, they will, but they'll event, but they'll replace it with something else that's equally wrong. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's uh, instead we need to take the opportunity to help one another, help point one another, and help walk along with each other on the path that we should go. So, how can we do that? How can we um, encourage one another to to essentially be who we are? Um, because whenever we see a rebuke in Scripture, and I mean, we see this really heavily in Paul's letters, for example, um, when he talks about about specific sins that he's seeing in churches. Um, you see this in the Corinthian church, in the Corinthian letters in particular. Um, he will talk about he he talks about identity mm-hmm. a great deal first. Or he reminds them, uh, and he does this intentionally to say, "This is who. This is who. This is what the gospel is. This is who you are in light of the gospel." Here's the problem that exists in your community right now. Remember who you are. Now let's let's apply that to this to this problem, and so that's the way that we need to treat it. It's applying the gospel to our very specific situations because when we when we do that when we recognize that what our when our, that our behavior is essentially either in step or out of step with the gospel itself it changes how we how we treat our calls to repentance mm-hmm. and we need that especially in um especially those of us who are living and ministering in areas where um, there is either a very high degree of ignorance about what uh, about what the Bible says because um, because there are so few Christians, but also in places where it is where there is a deeply saturated cultural wallpaper hmm. of religiosity that everyone thinks that they're Christians, even though they've never read the Bible. Right, right. Yeah, that makes uh, carving out what the path of faithfulness looks like in some ways more difficult than when you do have a community where there are fewer Christians because the contrast is going to be more vivid, whereas places that there's a nominal sort of Christianity and is sort of default uh, 
identification with the Christian religion, uh, then, then their lives on the surface will look similar in terms of seeming to have stable families and fathers who provide and uh, w- wives who contribute meaningfully to, to you know, leading their, leading their children and, t- and managing the household and whatever that looks like. But uh, that's why the suburbs, suburbs can be so difficult uh, to, to reach. So this is why we need other Christians in our lives, as we were saying, because we, we have these blind spots uh, that, that when we're in our own bubbles, we, we're just not going to see. That's what makes them, them blind spots. So yeah. that's, uh, that, that's why we, the Christian, that's why sanctification, becoming more holy, becoming conformed to the image of Christ is a community project. We can't, we can't do it on our own because it's difficult to see uh, our sins. And then also we just need models of faithfulness for ourselves to look like, see what faithfulness looks like. Um, so that would be in areas like you mentioned, communities where Christianity is not as prevalent, fewer Christians, so you have fewer models, so that the Christians there need a model, and then those who live in kind of a amorphous cultural Christianity that uh, where it's hard to distinguish between uh, someone who is a, a true follower of Jesus and someone who's just giving uh, lips, lip service to that. You need a model there, uh, especially to highlight what faithfulness looks like. So that's, that's a good point that you, that you bring up that we need to challenge one another to faithfulness and that that's modeled for us here in these letters. Uh, the, the last, um, uh, word of guidance we, we can offer for people about this passage passage, I think is that we need to help one another live out, uh, help one another live with our eyes focused on life with Jesus. So not just looking to one another for rebukes and affirmation uh, in terms of what faithfulness looks like, but ultimately we're, we're, want, we're wanting to uh, set our eyes on Christ so that that's where our direction is, that's where our hope is. Because if it's even to ourselves and if we're on a good path in terms of following Jesus, we're 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 still going to struggle. We're still going to fail at times, and so we're going to we're going to disappoint ourselves if it's all, if if all our hope is in what we do. And so in these letters, Jesus directs the church to to hope in Him, and that each 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 of these seven letters, uh, basically gives the same type of promise that this is the this is re- the reward for faithfulness at the end uh, of life for the for the, for the Christian the, the life to come come in the resurrection age. Uh, when we all experience eternal life in, it, in its full capacity as far as creatures can. Mm-hmm. So th- there's, there's a promise and a reward that awaits, that awaits us. And so our hope uh, is not in ourselves. It's in, the, it's in the grace that God offers us in Christ, and that's been secured by his death and resurrection. And for all those who have faith in him and that, that faith that, that holds true and perseveres to the end, uh, that's the type of saving faith that the New Testament describes. We will get that that blessed reward at the end that is communion with the triune God that is revealed to us in and through the person of, of Jesus, this, this communion with God that he created us for, that we uh, that our parents had for a moment in the in the garden before losing it, but it'll be even sweeter and better. Uh, and one of the reasons that it will be is because it'll be permanent yeah. in the end. And we'll talk about that in uh, our upcoming episode on the new heavens and new new earth on the uh, on one of the doctrine episodes. But we need to help one another keep this clear view of Jesus and the promise of eternal life uh, that that He offers uh, to all 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 those to to reign with Him, as this uh, this specific passage says here in Revelation three. 
And so it can seem so far away, but we need to be in one another's ear reminding um, reminding one another what this is for, why why is enduring the hardships of this life and struggling to, to repent and overcome certain sins, why is that worthwhile? Well, it's because uh, we uh, will one day no longer have to struggle anymore and will truly be fulfilled. We will be at rest and at peace and have everlasting joy because of who Christ is to us, and we won't have sin to hold us back from that anymore once once Jesus returns and we experience we experience all that he has for us in full. Yeah. And that's a good note to end on. So uh, thanks for talking about this passage today, and thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.